Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm with Bill Koch, our Red Sox beat writer. And the Red Sox, Bill, seem to have turned a corner. At least uh, if you look at the standings, they have won seven of their last eight games. Uh, And I guess they're still kind of in the mix here for the division. Uh, Obviously, they have the pesky Tampa Bay Rays between them and the first-place Yankees. Um, But a a very solid road trip, uh, sweeping a very bad Baltimore team and taking two out of three against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, What do you make of these these? Uh, seemingly surging Red Sox. Some good signs there. Offensively, they've been better. Yeah, um, They're on a bit of a power surge here recently, in Baltimore especially. Uh, hit six home runs in the first game there after hitting five against Texas in the finality of a four-game series in a home. Mm-hmm. Um, some wins against good competition as well. You win the last two games against the Rangers. They're also in the wild card hunt. You win two out of three at Minnesota, who had just been on a rampage, uh, have won twice as many games as they've lost right. to this point in the season under Rocco Baldelli, uh, the Rhode Islander. So I would say that I like what I see from the Red Sox at this point. I, I think that they're closer to last year's version than at any point we've seen so far this season. Well, I think the Red Sox themselves sort of like what they see as of late. Um, Alex Cora had some comments last week about them uh, basically resembling the team they were a year ago. Um, and I think believe it was uh, Christian Vasquez after the sweep of Baltimore who basically told you guys, hey, guys, we're back, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if you dismiss that as just somebody being happy with a, uh, a sweep of a bad team or if there has really been a noticeable change sort of in the locker room, the psyche, uh, the way they, they feel about themselves when they take the field each night. I like the fact that there's a certain chippiness to them now. I think that existed under the surface last year. Mm. Cora, the first-year manager, the sort of utility guy throughout his career, sort of a career underdog in that way. Sure. The Red Sox, the two-time playoff failures, who had gone one and six in two American League Division Series, who had serious questions about their mettle and their character. I think they used that all last season. It wasn't something that they talked about very explicitly until the end of the year, until the World Series, right. until after the World Series. But that was something that drove them. And as the champs, all you hear for four or five months is how great you are, how great you were. Yeah. There's not that sort of fuel, that sort of edginess. And so for Boston to struggle like they did early on, to have folks dismiss them already in the division race before the All-Star break, 
to say that the Yankees were better and are going to run away with this and Tampa is clearly better and they're going to be the first wild card and you're going to be on a plane in October <laughs> with a one-game playoff essentially for your season. Right. I think the Red Sox have sort of rediscovered that swag a little bit and I think that that served them very, very well last year. I think any sort of simulation of that attitude is going to be good for them going forward. Uh, sure, and as we record this here on uh, Friday, the Red Sox right now um, have the second wild card. Uh, the division winners at this point would be the Yankees, the Twins, and the Astros, and it would be the Rays and the Red Sox for the two wild cards. Uh, but, you know, there's still 100 games plus to play, Bill, so obviously uh, things can change, but it certainly has been encouraging if you're a Red Sox fan to see the kind of uh, see the kind of performance on the field and the consistent performance, not just one game and then they drop two more or whatever. You know, they they put it together for a stretch here. Now, um, the one game that they lost in that stretch, mm. uh, you unfortunately are intimately familiar with because you were at Target Field at a time when nobody should be at Target Field, and that is the 17 inning marathon that they eventually lost to the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I believe it was four to three. Eventually. Correct. The loss, uh, boy, that was kind of a that was a wacky game from start to finish. Uh, David Price, um, you know, didn't uh, last very long. Uh, Red Sox take the lead; they lose the lead. They take the lead, and they eventually lose the game. Uh, so, what was the uh, what was the uh, the mood like in the press box at at? 12 and then one in the morning. Can we Minnesota. say those words on the podcast? Is that I, you know, I, I don't think that Is we have a family show. I, I don't think we have any, uh, I don't think we have any censors. So, uh, sure. Is, uh, is Alan Rosenberg going to come in here and, and cuss off? He might. I, that maybe? I can't. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't want to risk uh, angering Alan. So I'll right. keep it PG 13 at the worst. Uh, it was a long night at Target Field, the longest game by innings played in Target Field history, 17 innings. Five hours and 45 minutes, which I think was the second or third longest game by time in target field history. Mm -hmm. Um, The Red Sox had three one-run leads in the game and lost them all. Um, Unfortunate because they really battled hard in that game. David Price could only give them five innings. He left, said he wasn't feeling great. He was okay. There were sort of vague allusions to the fact that he might have had some soreness Mm. or some stiffness or something that was preventing him from being 100% on that particular start. We can digest, we can dissect that a little bit more Mm. uh, in detail. But just generally, uh, Boston's competitiveness that night I thought really stuck out. They're in the 16th inning. It's 3-3. Three to three. Hector Velasquez is pitching. I think it was Jorge Polanco up at the plate with two outs in the 16th. Velasquez throws a pitch on the outer third of the plate, strikes out Polanco looking. And from where we were in the press box, which is probably on the second level behind the Twins' dugout, mm-hmm. first base side, we could hear the Red Sox dugout after the third out of the inning. They're all up on the top step on the rail cheering for Velasquez. Uh, cheering the strikeout as he's coming back into the dugout. And I think um, it was Michael Silverman from the Boston Herald who was sitting next to me, and I said, these guys are into this. Yeah, This is a regular season game on a Tuesday. We're past midnight here in Minnesota. These guys are into this. This is a really good sign. Mm. So over the course of a baseball season, it can feel like drudgery 
certain nights. And it would be natural to be tired at that point and to think, my God, let's just let it end. Somebody hit a home run. We've had two chances to win this already, and, and we still haven't. Those guys were up for it, which I took as a really, really good sign going forward. Well, uh, I, I think um, I think you're right. It is a good sign. Unfortunately, they, they ended up losing that game, mm. um, <clears throat> but they came right back the next day and won, which I think says a lot about them because it's very easy to go through that kind of uh, ringer of a game and just kind of say, you know what, let's just let's just you know go through the motions here on this last game of the trip and get get ourselves home. But that's that's not what they did. They had a nice rebound victory the following night. You got another seven inning performance from Eduardo Rodriguez. Right. That's his second in a row. The second time that he's sort of taken the responsibility with the bullpen sort of running on fumes. But beyond the, the, the performance of, of Erod, uh, and you're right, I mean, he picked up the bullpen. I mean, the offense came back because they were, you know, they had the lead, they lost the lead, and then they came back and won it pretty decisively. Yeah, it was a lot of frustration on Tuesday in terms of runners in scoring position. That's been a problem for Boston pretty much throughout the entire season. Uh, we've seen them erase some of that with the home runs recently. Uh, right. That sort of one big swing has been good for them. Um, you know, and to put nine runs up against Minnesota that night against Kyle Gibson, who'd actually thrown the ball pretty well. I think he had a 3.70 ERA coming into that start. Um, I thought Boston did a lot of things well in yep. that series. They gave up eight runs in 35 innings to the best offense in baseball right. to this point. Uh, granted, they've been much better on the road than at home. The Twins have, but still, to so, pitch, so have the Red Sox. <laughs> well, right. You know, to to pitch to those guys and to do such a good job limiting them, yeah. I, I thought was fairly impressive. Um, you know, offensively, they just have a fair amount of guys who are clicking now, yeah. whether it be Xander Bogart to Raphael Devers or Andrew Benintendi, who looks sort of reborn here right. in the two spot. you got Jackie Bradley Jr., who is hitting the ball very well and has for the last six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. So the bottom of the order isn't sort of that graveyard anymore where it's three guys who are going to be automatic outs. Right. Um, they have some decent continuity throughout the lineup right now. They're able to turn it over and sustain some threats. And I think the more chances they give themselves, it was only a matter of time before they were going to break out. This offense wasn't as bad as we saw in the first month. And they're not as wasteful as we saw in May. These guys are capable. It's just a matter of getting to the point where they're comfortable enough. And I think they're approaching that right now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned JBJ. I mean, his... His batting average, I believe, is now over 200, which, you know, considering it was well under 200 for uh, a good part of the what first month and a half of the season, means he had to really be on a tear to get it th- this high. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Christian Vasquez is, is um, going along fine, and Bogarts has been fantastic for them, Devers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think that this team does – um, does resemble that team that went uh, went to the World Series and won it last uh, last year. Uh, what about David Price, though? A little concerning here that uh, in two of his recent starts, he really hasn't been able to go very long. Yeah, one of them against the Rangers, obviously, he was ineffective. He lasted an inning and a third, uh, only threw 49 pitches and was out. The Red Sox managed to rally and win that game right. at home. Um you know that was that was one of their better wins of the season to date. I think they were they were down six to one and one seven to six. Uh, the other night went five innings through seventy three pitches, uh, and after the game, he and Alex Cora both sort of said that this was a start that they wanted to keep short. 
uh, that Price wasn't necessarily feeling 100%. Neither one of them elaborated on what he was dealing with. Yep. Uh, you could go back to the fact that he was on the DEL or the IL. Shoot, I did it. <laughs> I did it. I owe a quarter cor- to the podcast. You corrected star. yourself immediately. Though. No, but it was bad. I did it. Um both of them sort of alluded to the fact that Price wasn't feeling 100%. You could probably connect the dots to him being on the IL for elbow tendonitis yeah, at one point. Very good, yeah. Uh, you also <laughs> look ahead going forward. You're going to have the two off days around London, and you're going to have the all-star break. That's all within a three-week window. So there is a chance here for the Red Sox to not put someone like Price on the IL and maybe manage him a little bit in terms of his workload. They felt like five innings was enough. The previous night, Rick Porcello gave them seven. They had more bullpen options available on Tuesday. And so they decided to pull the plug early on Price and say, you've given us enough. It's a 1-1 game. Let's see what we can do going forward. Hmm. Um, And to be fair, yes, Brandon Workman gave up a run in the eighth. By walking two batters, right? Lost a two-to-one lead. And then... Hector Velasquez comes in in the 13th. The first batter is Max Kepler. He hits a solo home run. Right. Velasquez was scoreless from there. Yeah. The bullpen gave up three runs in 11 in a third inning. Yeah. And and uh, on Vasquez, I mean, he had just come off the, the Velasquez, IL. Right. On v- Velasquez. Yes. Right. And, and ended up going right back on the IL because they probably used him a little too much. But, you know, I mean, I don't know how you could qualm with what he did. Right. Did I mean, obviously, job. obviously gave up the home run, but then settled right down. Did a good job. Kept them in the game. You know, Josh Taylor did a good job. Had two scoreless innings yeah. in that game and looked very impressive. Right. right. Um, it's a game that you would have liked to win, but you go back to Price and you think... Yes, we lost the game. Could he have given us the sixth inning? Probably. But at what cost yeah. going forward? And I think Alex Cora alluded to this after the game. He's sort of taken the long-term view, the full-season view. I think he did a good job of that last year as well. Right, right. And he's looking at it and thinking, is it worth one more inning out of price tonight? Mm. If that means he has to go on the IL and miss a couple starts yeah. Yeah. and go into the All-Star break and have to restart all over again. Maybe we'll just take it easy with him. We'll push him back. We'll give him an extra day or two before his next start. We'll give him an extra day before his last start, before the break. Maybe we'll put him at the end of the rotation coming out of the break. you got to keep in mind, this is a guy who's going to be 34 in August, who's logged a lot of miles since his debut in 2008 with the Rays. Mm -hmm. Then in 2009, he was a full-time starter. 2010 was the first year he made 30 starts. And he's done that pretty reliably. And he's thrown a lot of innings, right? He's thrown a lot of innings. He's over 180 innings. I think it's eight times since 2010. So he's been a very reliable, durable performer, a guy who puts in the work off the field. But I think this is acknowledging reality here that he's a pitcher approaching 34 years old and that if they want the best out of him in September and October, that might mean sacrificing an inning or two here or there in June and July. And I think that they're okay with that. Well, as it happens, the way the schedule kind of lays itself out here over the next uh, few weeks, uh, you might be able to give Price a little bit of a break. Um, Obviously, you've got a homestand now uh, opening tonight with Toronto, and then you've got Chicago uh, coming in for, I want to say, three games next week. Correct. Before you uh, have a couple of days off and head out to London. Yes. Uh, So let's take a look at the pitching rotation a little bit here, Bill, and what's the scenario in your mind that you might see David Price getting a little bit of a break? I mean, he's probably going to pitch here in the next week, week and a half, I would assume. Well, his turn would come up on Monday. Yeah. Um, You've got Chris Sale. 
mm-hmm. Brian Johnson and Rick Porcello announced yeah. for Toronto. Okay. Price would come up on Monday to start the series with the White Sox. And then after that, he wouldn't be scheduled to pitch again until after London. Yeah. Uh, it would be the opener of the Toronto series, I believe, um, which would come with two extra off days built in, mm-hmm. a place in Toronto where he's been dominant in his career. Mm-hmm. I think he's 21-3 and three career so at you're looking at Center. So you're looking at like seven off days at that point. Yes, right? it's, it's an extended rest. Yeah. And then he'll make that one start. Theoretically, he would start the last game before the All-Star break. But if you wanted to give him another right. five or six days off, you could have a spot starter yeah. that last day in Detroit. Sure. So yeah. there, are, there are decisions that they can make and things that they can do here mm-hmm. to sort of build in rest days for him. He's going to essentially get a week, and he might get another full week. Uh, so if you're able to do that and keep him off the IL, I think that is the ultimate goal going forward. I, I think you're going to probably see them stay on turn and just use the off days. Like, you won't have Chris Sale start just because it's the fifth day. Yeah, You won't have Porcello start just because it's the fifth day. They're going to push the entire rotation back through those off days right? and go at it as sort of a, an extended midseason break for these guys. Now, would it be possible or um, would it be a good idea maybe to de... Uh, look at me. I was going <laughs> to... I just caught myself. You stopped yourself. Yeah, I did. Uh, to IL him uh, before the uh, the all-star break and essentially shut him down until the break and put him on there for 10 days or whatever? Ideally, if you, if you don't have to give away two starts, you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, even if those two starts are abbreviated, even if they're only five or six innings or you say he's only going to go 80 pitches, mm. that's better than bringing someone up from Pawtucket, starting Josh Smith or Ryan Weber or Darwins and Hernandez. You'd rather have five or six innings of David Price because he's throwing the ball very well. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're still trying to win these games. Obviously. That's right. And he, you know, even the other night in an abbreviated start, he threw the ball well. Yeah. He left the one-one game. It, it was a game that they could have won. Right. Uh, a game that he had them in position to win. Uh, you know. So, I think that they're willing to to sacrifice the length and take the fact that he can go out there and throw five or six innings and 80 pitches and still be plenty effective. Right, right. So uh, the Red Sox, as I mentioned, have a uh, homestand uh, beginning tonight with two teams that they really should have some success against here. Yes. Uh, The Blue Jays uh, come in for the weekend and then the Chicago White Sox. Um, and I think this is, this really does present an opportunity maybe to close that gap with Tampa Bay for the uh, for the uh, wild card. Um, I mean, they, they have the wild card, but maybe get themselves into second place in the division. Um, uh, so before, obviously, before the London games, I mean, my hope is that they they take you know what uh, what are there six games, seven games before London? Six games, yeah. They they take four anyway of these six games, maybe five. Sure. Um, I think that's a realistic goal. Entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you do see Marcus Stroman on Sunday. He's throwing the ball well. Sure. Uh, the White Sox, I'm not sure how their rotation falls, but you could see Lucas Giolito, mm-hmm. who's been really, really good and will probably be an all-star in the American League. Um, so those two games be a little difficult to win, yeah, you, yeah. you would think. Um, but if you but do you're ha- home. You're home, and you know. if you do happen to win the other four, right. You know, you'll accept winning both series, going sure. four and two, and, and going over to London and giving yourself a shot against the Yankees. Yeah, and hopefully the uh, the Yankees and the Astros beat up themselves, beat up on each other for a little bit. And That's the idea. That, that might that might help the cause too. Sure. Uh, and then at the end of next week, Bill, they're off to uh, off to London, and I've been reading a little bit about that series. Now, for some reason, I thought that both teams would be giving up home games, but I read that it was the Red Sox that are essentially giving up two home games. Yes. Now they would be made whole. 
I believe, by Major League Baseball for whatever gate they're not going to get. Sure. Um, sure. But um, it's going to be played in a, uh, well, basically a soccer stadium that is being the retrofitted. The stadium, yes. Uh, uh, retrofitted as a baseball stadium. 60,000 uh, capacity for baseball. Mm-hmm. I read that the uh, the tickets for both games sold out in a matter of like 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so I think it'll be uh, quite the affair. Again, um, you know, with London and the rain, I mean, who knows if they'll get both of those games in or, um, you know, uh, w- w- if they're going to be started or played on time. But uh, the good thing for us here in the States is that they're going to be early during the day. So you can, I mean, one's going to be like a 10 a.m. our time, I think. Um, so uh, it's not like you're going to be up in the middle of the night trying to watch baseball like when they were in Japan. Oh my goodness! I remember those. Was remember it that five thirty a.m. start? Yeah, right? I mean, it, it wasn't in the middle of the night. It was so early in the morning that it might as well have been the middle of the night. But yeah, yeah. So these 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 are a little bit uh, more time friendly. But I'm looking forward to it. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see. Absolutely, it's always interesting when you see. Not that we're going, by the way. No, you know, no. We'll, we'll be watching uh, from the comfort of our living rooms. But it, it's always interesting when you see you know the game played in a market where it's necessarily not played. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have baseball there. They have cricket, which you throw, you hit, you field, but it's completely different. Right. Um, you know, honestly, I, I sort of understand the rules, but I don't. It's, it's <laughs> I, don't, those, I, don't I don't know the rules at all. One but, of those sports know. where I don't really understand how to score it. I, right. I know that you have a pitcher. They call him a bowler, and you have a yeah. batsman, and you do have fielders, and, you know, the object is to strike out the batsman or catch the ball. Yeah. And the ball is put into play. Um, so they'll understand baseball on sort of that remedial level you would think um you know you're playing playing in the olympic stadium uh it's the home of west ham soccer club throughout the year uh they're in the english premier league if oh by the way i'm just going to jump in here one of the stories i I read said they were uh turning it into a baseball pitch uh, which which i (laughs) i felt like sending an email to the writer like a baseball pitch is not the field the baseball pitch is when the, what the field. what the batter does to the uh, yes. to the ball, right? So, right, that's right. But uh, anyway, go ahead. It's, it's a baseball field and a soccer pitch. <laughs> I get it, right? Yes, for whatever reason, <laughs> but not a baseball uh, pitch. That's right. Um, you know, they are playing on turf, so you would hope that that might, you know, sort of compensate for any rain that they do have. Mm. Um, that it'll drain quickly. That they won't have any sort of of issues there. Yeah. Um, and I I think it'll be good for the players. From the standpoint that they are going to have the days off bracketing the two games. Right. Um, they're both East Coast teams, so the travel being what it is, it's just like having a West Coast road trip. It's about a five hour flight to right. London from Boston. And the Red Sox go to Toronto right so after that? They go to that? Toronto okay. after so that. That's not too bad. It's not like you're flying to, uh, you know, Oakland. You're not going to Seattle. Right. 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 Or Oakland. Uh, <laughs> you know, good, good example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've sort of built that in for the teams, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the only fair way to do it. Uh, right, know, because you're you're really you really be taxing them absolutely yeah. uh, from a physical standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would think that the players are looking forward to it. I know they've had some promotional events there in the off season. Jackie Bradley Jr. went over uh, and was hosted by Liverpool, who is owned by John Henry right. as well. Sure, um, you know he did some promotional events for Major League Baseball and. Mm-hmm. You know, he found the atmosphere at a, a Liverpool soccer match, which he took in. He thought it was great. Yeah. Um, you know, if the fans are anything approaching that for these games, and, and you would assume that they're Red Sox and Yankee fans making their way over yeah. to London as well. Right. Um, you know, you would anticipate something good, something 
approaching the NFL games that have been played there. I think the only difference here is that baseball is sending two marquee franchises yeah, here. This right. isn't the Jaguars and the Browns. No, right. This, you is, know, it seems this like, is the greatest rivalry the sport has to offer. It seems like the NFL kind of sends the dregs of the league over to... <laughs> yeah. You know, they never give you like... Right, Patriots against the Saints, Steelers, right. or somebody like yeah. that. It's always the Jaguars against the Raiders, oh, or like you know, it's like yeah. wh- who cares? You know, who cares about Jacksonville? Right. right. You know, who cares about Tampa Bay? If if you want to get fans in London and in Europe excited about football, right? You can't send them those teams. <laughs> yeah, that that's not the best representation of right. American football that we have. But this is among or indeed the best representation of American baseball we could give them. Absolutely, yep. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, baseball obviously is not popular, nor is it played professionally over in uh, England. But Europe has played baseball. Italy has played baseball, certainly. Sure. And the Netherlands have played baseball. And, and you know, this may help grow the sport. And who knows, maybe in uh, 15, 20 years, there may be rumors of a team based out in in London or somewhere in England or I mean you know we can fly people to the east to the west coast for games you can fly people to London for games too there are uh, there are teams there who are entries in the Lily World Series every year yeah Europe has uh, a team a region yeah uh, that's part of the 16 team field <laughs> in Williamsport um, you do watch the European team though and they do tend to be behind the teams from Latin America, from Mexico, from Japan, right. you can tell that it's not necessarily as ingrained in the culture there no. as soccer would no. be. No, they haven't pl- been playing it from such a young age as, as they had been with, with soccer or the baseball. The level of competition and, right. isn't what it is, right. um, you know, as you would find it in other places. Uh, but the game is being played there. I, I would assume that they're going to be given a passionate reception. And, you know, I hope that the players, I think it's all in the mindset of the players. If they choose to embrace the trip sure. and, and think, you know, this is a really cool thing and a great thing, I think that you'll be able to go out there and play well. If you look at it as, man, this is a hassle, right. why are we going to London? Right. That's going to have a negative effect on what you do on the field. Well, I know during one of the uh, uh, pregame shows on the radio last week, they were talking with Jackie Bradley Sr., Sure. About the trip and and Jackie Bradley Jr. is basically flying the entire family out there and oh, kind of embracing it and good. and uh, so I'm I'm thinking that a lot of the players on both the Red Sox and Yankees are going to sort of take that approach because this is you know this is not the dr- the regular drudgery of, of of road trips during the baseball season this is something that's unique and kind of neat no question you know uh, so um, Bill as we uh, as we uh, head into this weekend there is um, one more thing I, I should we should touch upon here, and that is that former Red Sox ace pitcher Roger Clemens uh, is going to be at McCoy Stadium tonight. Mm. Uh, he's not pitching, from what I hear, <laughs> but but he good is, thing for the opponent. He, he could probably still get some outs. Right. He is going to be inducted into the uh, Pawtucket Red Sox Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, now, he wasn't really on the Pawtucket Red Sox for very long. He was one of these people that was fast-tracked through the minors. But he, he did spend a little bit of time there, I want to say a few months, mm-hmm. before making his debut. I think it was 1984, is say. correct, yeah. Um, so, you know, whenever we talk about Roger Clemens, there is always this discussion and debate to be had. Is And that is, is he a Hall of Fame pitcher? And obviously... The numbers dictate that he most certainly is a Hall of Fame pitcher. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the PED scandal and um, you know the the rumors and uh, reports that he had used PEDs is what gets in the way. Um, 
So let's let's hash that out a little bit. Now, I mean, I went back and looked at Roger Clemens' numbers, and, you know, it, they're really amazing. <laughs> they I mean, are. For a guy who, who pitched, uh, you know, from age 21 basically through age 44, hmm. uh, you know, he had one, two, three, four, five, I want to say, 20-plus win seasons. He, he His winning percentage is 658, 354, 184. He struck out 4,672 batters. Seven Cy Young Awards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously as Red Sox fans, we kind of have a bitter taste in our mouth because of the way he left Boston, ended up going to Toronto, and then obviously with the Yankees and, and won there. Right. Um, so it was kind of a bittersweet uh, departure for Clemens. But he has since been back, and I think the fans have slowly kind of sort of come around and embraced him. And I think it's a great thing that the Paw Sox are doing this and, and – and, uh, and and putting him in their Hall of Fame as well. Um, what's your take on Roger Clemens? When you when you I mean you watched him as a kid, uh, dominant pitcher, probably the most dominant Red Sox pitcher I ever saw, no. except for maybe Pedro in his prime. Right. Um, what's your take? Uh, well, first, a tip of the cap to the Paw Sox. They tend to do a really good job with this sort of thing, honoring the folks who have played for them previously. Uh, for them to induct Clemens into their Paw Sox Hall of Fame, I, I think is well-deserved. Mm. You know, good foresight from uh, Bill Wanless and Mike Timburrow and Dr. Charles Steinberg and Larry Lucchino and the folks over there, because Clemens does deserve to be there. Uh, he is one of the best pitchers in Red Sox history. Um, when I was a kid, as you mentioned, he was the guy who I grew up watching. Uh, I wore 21 in Little League, I think, when I was a 12-year-old. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was a right-handed pitcher as well, so yep. You know, Clemens was the guy who I wanted to be yeah. growing up. Uh, you know, was on a few playoff teams there. Obviously, the World Series team in '86. He won the Cy Young Award and the MVP yeah. in '88. They won the division in '90. They won the division. Uh, they were in the ALCS. They had the unfortunate uh, sort of fate of meeting the Oakland A's, right. who were uh, a machine at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at Clemens and I think there was sort of a mutual distaste there when he left uh he'd sort of fallen out of love with boston right it was a team that wasn't really going anywhere they weren't very successful uh and dan duquette who was a gm at the time didn't really hold clemens in any sort of reverence no uh clemens was a lou gorman guy right um you know was developed under a different regime uh boston sort of had a a revolving door of, of managers that he played for, so there wasn't really anyone who was in his corner right. and was going to stick up for him, you know, like Terry Francona might have done with some players. Hmm. Um, so his legacy in Boston at the end when he left, it wasn't the cleanest parting of ways. No, of course not. Um, and, 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 he, and he ticked off some fans too, obviously, when he would say things like, Well, I wanted, you know, I wanted to leave to be closer to my family, and then he went to play for Toronto. Which you know, my map shows Toronto being further away from Texas than Boston is, but whatever. The, the the second difficult thing that you run into is that if you look at his last three or four seasons in Boston, he wasn't the great pitcher that he was early on. Um, you know, and he did, he was a guy who had started to suffer a few injuries here or there, uh, who had some quibbles with Red Sox medical staff. Uh, who certainly had conflicts of interest at the time. You you had a team doctor who had part of an ownership stake in the right. club. I think that was Walter Pappas. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of contention about whether or not the players' medical needs were being met right. fully or whether they were being put back out on the field uh, You know, just for the good of the club. Um, so there was a lot of sort of back and forth there and, and some ill will based on that. You look at Clements' his last three or four years in Boston – 
fairly unimpressive. Yeah. Um, you know, one he was third in the Cy Young voting in 1992. He was an all-star then. Did not make an all-star team his last four years. Uh, did not receive a Cy Young vote. So for him to go to Toronto and suddenly win the Cy Young Award twice yeah. and suddenly turn it around. Yeah, have two 20-plus win seasons, what, 21 and then 20 win seasons in 97, 98 after having won 10, 10, and 9 in the previous three years with the Red Sox. And what was going on in 97 and 98? Well, of course. Everybody was getting a lot of help. It was the Wild West in baseball (laughs) in terms of performance-enhancing drugs. And so you draw the line from Clemens, his performance, how it suddenly ticked up as a 34-year-old with all those miles that had been put on him by the Red Sox. Uh, he ends up in front of Congress, and Brian McNamee testifies that Clemens was a performance-enhancing drug user, right. and that's how he extended his career all the way to 44. So his legacy is a complicated one in my mind. Uh, you know, much like many human beings are complicated, sure. or great leaders are complicated. They have wonderful characteristics, and they also have some that you would prefer not to know about, right. because right. it clouds the way you feel about them. Uh, 12-year-old me would have said, this guy's great. Leave him alone. <laughs> right. Retire his number. Sure. Uh, 39-year-old me has conflicted feelings. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one day, if if I happen to be a Hall of Fame voter, which would be in about eight or nine years, if, if I continue on the Red Sox beat and, you know, continue my membership in the BBWAA, mm-hmm. that's something I'm going to have to think about. Sure. Um, you know, I, I had a few conversations about that with the late Nick Cafardo, uh, who was a Hall voter and, you know, obviously been in the game for much much longer than me Uh, you know the better part of 30 years and more Uh, and I remember having dinner with him one night at Fenway and we had a discussion about the PED players yeah whether it was Clemens or Barry Bonds um, you know and just his thoughts on on voting for them and Nick basically said I vote for them because we don't know who was clean and who wasn't Mm -hmm. the players union fought the testing the commissioner's office couldn't get the testing in there was a fair amount of baseball played in the 90s, especially, where guys were dirty. There's no question. Yeah, and the, and the league itself did nothing about it. The league itself right. wanted to boost attendance after the strike year. Right. They wanted to get the fans back. They did so yep. with the home run chase with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Um, they turned a blind eye to steroid use. It's mm. the biggest black eye in Bud Selig's tenure, and it's why I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. But that's right. a separate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Nick's point was generally that you couldn't tell who was clean and who wasn't definitively. Sure. All right. I mean, there were lists and failed tests, and you could probably definitively say, okay, well, this guy did it. because he. But that doesn't mean that everybody who never failed a test you know, was clean. Was clean. You also go back to, you know, as Nick would say, the 60s or the 70s when guys were using amphetamines sure. to play. Yeah, that, that, that was, was performance enhancing in a way. Correct. Right? You know, were there guys using steroids in the 60s or the 70s? I don't know. Yeah. But there were certainly guys using greenies, as they were called. Oh, of course. You yeah. know, so does that mean yeah. that they were performance enhanced in some way? Well, in some way they were, right. I mean, they probably didn't help, you know, add 10, 12 feet to their home run uh, home run swings. But, you know, I think me, like a lot of other people who follow the game, we have kind of evolved in, in how we think of this steroid era. Because, sure. you know, as, Nick's, as, as Nick said, you don't know who did and who didn't. It was so pervasive that it was probably a lot more than people think. And so what do you do? Just... Like not in, not induct anybody who played between you know 1996 and 2004 right. or whatever you can't you can't do that um, and you know the thing with me about Clemens and this might be the cop out here but the thing with me about Clemens is 
you know, do you think he was a Hall of Fame pitcher before 1997? That's the Barry Bonds discussion right, I have with right, people. Right. <laughs> sure. So if you think that he was uh, dominant enough to qualify for the Hall of Fame before what you think is when he started to use PEDs, then how do you deal with that? Do you say, well... Uh, he did, he then went on and did things he shouldn't have done, so that so that disqualifies him. Or do you say, well, I feel pretty confident that his performance was Hall of Fame level, regardless of what happened after that date. And to me, and and I'm like you, Bill. I grew up watching Clemens, idolizing Clemens. You know, in the '80s, he was he was the Red Sox sure. for me. Uh, you know, the more the most dominant pitcher I had seen because Pedro hadn't shown up yet, and I wasn't really old enough to to watch the pitchers of the uh, '60s and and you know Jim Lonborg right, and guys. Right. Like that, right? Uh, so, to me, I would say absolutely, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And you know, now you know, almost fifty-year-old me uh, kind of feels the same way. I think that you can't just just sort of x out 50, 10, 15 years of baseball because you suspect everybody did it, um, and that that disqualifies them. But anyway, that's not what's happening tonight at McCoy Stadium, right? Right. I mean, tonight they are recognizing him for being a great player and having come through the system. And uh, they're having a, a barbecue where fans can go and sort of meet him and have photos with him and stuff. And, you know, he's to his credit, though, he has come back to Boston and kind of gotten over some of that ill will, mm-hmm. you know, that that certainly existed in the mid 90s when he left. And, you know, talked about some of those early years in Boston and how important it was to him to play play in Boston and play with the Red Sox. So, you know, I, I think he's done um, his share to sort of mend fences. Well, time heals all wounds, right. as they say. And, and uh, you know, th- and three or four, four, four World Series titles helps well, as that's, well. That's right, too. Right. Uh, you know, they're not the losers that he left. Yeah. Uh, they're not the cursed franchise that he left. Um, you know, 1996, it's 23 years ago now. I know. Um, you know, so you're looking at a, a significant passage of time. Uh, in terms of, you know, Hall of Fame, I would be conflicted. If, if I'm looking at a guy like Clemens, though, or Bonds, and there is an overwhelming amount of evidence, uh, you know, that they were cheating at some point. Oh, sure. I, obviously with Bonds, I would have yeah. a hard time voting for those guys. Yeah. I, I would. Yeah. I might hold my nose and do it, ultimately. <laughs> right. Right. I would have a hard time doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you asked about Clemens during just his Red Sox career. Yeah. Uh, 192 wins, 306 ERA. Yeah. Um, 2,500 strikeouts Jeez. in 383 games. So, pretty solid statistics. Yeah. Right. You know, just through those 12 years, yeah. um, from 84 to, to 96, that might be 13 years, actually. Um, just very, very solid statistics. Three Cy Young Awards yep. in that time. Um, All star. You know, I think he made five, five All star yep. teams. Yep. So, if you want to consider just that, and you could say that that's pre cheating. <laughs> and you right. and you look at it like like Bonds was in Pittsburgh, yeah. when he won three MVPs right. and was a thirty thirty guy, and you know was just a sensational player. Um, mm. You know everything that he did, pretty much prior to his mid thirties, right. probably would have earned him enshrinement in Cooperstown. Yeah. Um, you know, so for guys like that, I I would have a hard time voting for them. I might do it ultimately in the end. Um, I think that Clemens' legacy in Boston, as you said has been helped by the passage of time. It's been helped by them winning championships, which he was unable to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, it's it's been helped by society now in general in the fact that we move on so quickly 
from things. Yeah, and it's we, amazing. We go to the latest outrage, not day by day or week by yeah. week, but hour by hour. Right. And it's amazing that you never have this discussion about football players. Should they get in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> because, well, <laughs> like it's like, oh well, he just yeah. you know he broke should, he broke the PED. Should Julian rule? Edelman get in yeah, because I he's mean, been whacked for PEDs? No, nobody is going to argue that he should. I mean, if no, if you feel he's a Hall of Famer, no, nobody's going to argue he shouldn't be in because I well, I don't think they will. I don't know, but no, uh, but. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think the uh, I, th- I think it's safe to say, though, Bill, that by the time you uh, get a Hall of Fame vote, that Clemens will, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm going to uh, go out on a limb here and say in the next, you know, eight or nine years, you know, the, the thinking will have turned. Um, and well, or the Veterans Committee or the Veterans will Committee act. will get him in. Yeah, yeah the Veterans Committee right. will put him in. They'll put bonds in. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll put in. Just about anyone else who who is looked at with suspicion, yeah. uh, I I would think because they are made up of former players and, and former administrators, and I'm sure that some of those guys would look themselves in the mirror every morning and say, "Did I use greenies? Did I use PEDs? Right. Did I use uh, HGH to come back from an injury? Let's say, mm. uh, you know, like Andy Pettit said that he did a couple times. Yeah. Um, you know, now his claims that he only did it when he was hurt and he only did it to recover. Yeah, who knows? Okay, sure, Andy, fine. But, um, you know, that's a realistic, layered, complicated discussion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something that, that's ever going to go away from baseball, just considering its history and the fact that there have always been guys who have cheated or looked to get an edge, um, and how much of that should be acceptable, quote-unquote, and how much of it isn't. Right, right. Well, certainly a debate that will go on for years. Uh, so, Bill, thanks again. Um you are uh, jumping back into the Red Sox beat this weekend with Toronto and then uh, Chicago. Correct. And then uh, you have some well-deserved time off. Any big plans for your uh, for your four or five days off uh, end of next week? I'm actually uh, I'll be at the Dunkin' Donuts Center one of those nights watching Boo Boo Andrade the Rhode big Island fight on the Saturday night. Uh, yeah, big prize fight there for Boo Boo. Yeah. Uh, a chance to potentially set up a big money showdown with Canelo Alvarez mm-hmm. or or you know some sort of real big name in in boxing uh, in the middleweight division. So, you know, Boo Boo is a guy who I'm I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, he's an action fighter. Uh, you know, was a had great pedigree around here for a long time, whether it be through the Golden Gloves, uh, right. you know, or through the Olympics as well. Uh, I think he was a qualifier for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so someone who I'm hoping draws well, uh, you know, gets some folks to the dunk. We we haven't necessarily had an attraction on that level at the dunks since maybe Peter Manfredo. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, I go back to the 80s when Vinny Paz sure. was a world champion and a contender. Yeah. Um, of course, you remember some of his fights at the dunk. And, oh, yeah. You know, what that atmosphere was like. The Greg Haugen um, fights and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you I mean, know, Haugen and, and, you know, so many of those wars that he had with Haugen and, you know, with Roy Jones. And, right, and it was right. just like, you know, you, you're talking about a guy who's, from the same state, who is yep. competing against the biggest names in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so very much looking forward to that. Um, you know, I look forward to watching the Sox play in London mm-hmm. and what the atmosphere is going to be yeah. like. That should be fun. Um, you know, and then definitely looking forward to getting back on the road with them, probably for the Detroit series right before the All-Star break, mm-hmm. um, just to see if they can sustain this momentum. Well, we will see, and we should probably uh, we will do this again before they head out to London a week from now and see where they are, take stock of the division and wildcard race. Bill, as usual, thanks again. Pleasure, Bill. Thanks.